Well, here we are with our latest edition of Sounds of the Session, and I am privileged to be joined here today by the chairman of the Senate Education Committee, Senator Cleo Fields. Uh, Senator Fields, how are you today? I am doing absolutely excellent, Stephen, and thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely excellent. That's a strong response. I mean, especially <laughs> with everything going on in the world right now, absolutely excellent. I'll take that any day of the week. Um, and that is some of the demeanor that people know you for in the Capitol. You always carry that type of positive outlook, and so I appreciate that. Um, so let's, let's dive right into it. Um, as chair of Senate Education, you know, obviously those are important issues in any year. And in Louisiana, we've you know, debated education policy, and we've gone through reforms and everything over the years. But right now, I would say, you know, in the last year of the pandemic, there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, the business impact, the economic impact, the impact on government. But man, when you talk to most families, what they bring up kids' education. And so walk through a little bit, what are you hearing? What are your thoughts about how the last year and a half has been on the kids of this state and the education they're getting? And, and what does it put in your mind as you go into it in a legislative session where you know these issues are going to be tackled? Uh, a tough year. I mean, without any questionable doubt. I mean, our kids have gone through so much this past year. At, at the end of the day, I think there is a lot of psychological issues that we're going to have to address. Uh, two, learning loss. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, you can't have kids out of school for this long uh, in a traditional environment. And, and not expect uh, some learning loss. So I, I think we're going to have to tackle those problems. I have to look at after-school, you know, extracurricular activities and particularly look at, you know, some summer schooling, you know, mm-hmm. to the individual district. Let, let it be left up to the individual district. But we got to get our kids back on par. And, and the only way to do that is, one, we got to assess them to see where they are now. Uh, and, and I introduced, uh, I think it was Senate Bill 31, I don't think it should be punitive. I don't think we should hold teachers and and systems uh, accountable in in a punitive way right now. But I do think we have to have assessment because we never know where we are if we don't uh, find out. So I think it's it's a challenge. But I would like to commend our teachers because, you know, unlike many other states in the country, our teachers stayed in the classroom. They didn't leave. They put their lives, uh, the lives of their families at risk. And uh, they stayed there and they taught our kids in very difficult times. And, and they had to learn, you know, how to do it virtually many times. And I commend them. And I really think that um, the sooner we get assessment where we are, assessments as to where we are with our kids academically, the better. And I just think we need to work hard to try to get them back. You know, you bring up a couple of good points in there. You know, obviously we all have friends or associates from other states, and we've all heard how other states handle different parts of this pandemic response. And quite frankly, it amazes me how many friends and parents I know from other states where their kids either they're not back to full-time yet or they're just in recent weeks going back to full-time. And when you talk to most Louisiana parents, um, they have a different story to tell. Most of schools have had in-person instruction most of the time, and you're right, there's a host of education professionals who stepped up early to kind of figure that out. And so I do think that's a great point to make. The other point is, um, you know, we know that with the federal stimulus dollars, there's a lot of dollars coming down directly to local school systems to help address some of the issues, and obviously learning loss is going to be a big issue everywhere. As a state legislator, most of those dollars are going to flow directly down to local how do you put the right level of accountability on that, but at the same time allowing for the flexibility that every region needs? You know, I'm sure there's a balance there because, you know, you also mentioned the importance of assessments, 
but to be careful how you use that data. And I, I think that's a very good point that we as policymakers need to know the extent of the learning loss. But at the same time, we also need to be understanding of the tremendous challenge some of those systems have and give them time for that remediation. So walk through a little bit how you would like to see some of those dollars coming in used or how you as a legislator would like to, to have a good feel accountability perspective or visibility perspective on how they're being spent. Well, I mean, obviously, we we have to attack and address the learning loss. So I think after-school programs are going to be very important. Uh, I think, um, you know, summer school again, I, I just think that, and it should be left up to the districts. It shouldn't be a mandate from, from the state. I think, you know, you know it, we talked about the... Uh, the situation with the uh, the pandemic, but we didn't address the issue like in Southwest Louisiana, the hurricanes. I mean, we've had kids. We got kids right now who are displaced, who are not in the state of Louisiana. Uh, some we don't even know where they are, and so we we we, we got to we we got to address the running loss. We got to also address the issue of, you know, how we uh, get these kids. Uh, in the classroom. So I would like to see the stimulus dollars spent on learning loss one, uh, two, getting, uh, making sure the classrooms are safe, are safe, and sure we have the proper uh, protective gear, and then thirdly, making absolutely certain that we do everything we can do to, uh, to keep teachers teaching. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people forget that, not forget, but I, I think people don't realize that, you know, a lot of folk are leaving the teaching profession. And and we have to, you know, make it more attractive. And because people, teachers are retiring, teachers are, are leaving after they put their first five years in. And that's why I'm going to be promoting a teacher's pay raise, mm-hmm. quite frankly. That can't be used. The federal dollars cannot be used for teacher's pay, uh, but it can be used for incentive purposes in keeping teachers in the classroom. And then lastly, I would like to see more in ventilation. Uh, Ventilation is a, most of our class classes across the state, uh, and not just K through 12, but high ed as well, their ventilation systems, systems are way outdated, and, and we got to do something to address this. This is the first major pandemic in my lifetime we've seen, and hopefully it's the last, but we have to be more prepared for the future. And for anyone who thinks that education and teachers are not frontline workers, Education is not essential. It's just not living on, living on this earth because you know they are frontline workers. It is essential. Uh, and when I say education, I'm not just talking about K through 12 and high ed. I'm talking about pre-K as well, which is something I want to talk about a little bit uh, today. Uh, the necessity for pre-K. But that's what I would like to see the stimulus dollars spent. Uh, the federal government has already given some guidelines. One, you know, they won't states to deal with lost learning. Two, they want to deal with the ventilation problems that we have. Three, they want to give uh, districts the flexibility to have, you know, summer programs and after-school programs. So I I think they're headed in the right direction. You gave me flashbacks for a second when you brought up ventilation. When I was a kid growing up in school where no air conditioning, we had had open windows, and if you're lucky, an oscillating fan. But um, those are flashbacks none of us want to think about. But, um, but no, you bring up great points um, and all of that. And the good news is there are resources coming down to help uh, address a lot of those needs and and to make sure they're spent in the right direction is, is absolutely on point. So let's get to that early education piece that you brought up. 
Obviously, it's an issue that I think many in the state have become much more in tune to. We now know that if you have a dropout in high school, most likely you lost them in early ages and, you know, we don't want that to happen again. You've got a unique approach. You've got a bill here to actually compel kindergarten. Talk a little bit about why you introduced it, what you're trying to accomplish, and kind of what kind of feedback you're hearing from stakeholders. Well, you know, it just made good business sense, in my view, to educate kids when their brains are growing the fastest. You know, we all know that, you know, 90% of the brain is developed between birth and four years of age. So kids, that brain is developing like at a rapid speed at a very young age. And Louisiana does not require compulsory education until first grade. And, and, and you can be as old as seven years of age. So if you got a kid who's sitting on the sidewalk until he or she seven, uh, nine times out of ten, there are some exceptions, uh, they're going to start way behind and they're not going to catch up. It's going to be very difficult to catch up. And so what happens is... They get depressed because school is a bad thing, not a good thing uh, in their mind. And then they drop out or they become, you know, classroom disruptionists. And so at the end of the day, it doesn't work. And it's not fair to the school system. It's not fair to the teachers. uh, And it's really not fair to society, quite frankly. So since we know that kids, the brains are developed at such a rapid speed at a at a young age, then let's take advantage of it. 20 states in this nation have compulsory kindergarten. Now, kindergarten is not the, the, the absolute answer to all of the problem, but it's a good start. Actually, we have to, we have to make sure we deal with kids you know, earlier than kindergarten. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got to make absolutely certain that we get enough spaces available to any person who wants to put their kid in some form of education at an early age before kindergarten. They should be able to do that. And we ought to make the opportunity available. It just makes good business sense to me uh, because the more we put in the early childhood education, the better results we get. And I'm trying to figure out, I want, I have staff looking at, you know, I would like to see the number of kids who are in our magnet school programs and our gifted and talent school programs across the state. How many of those kids actually had good early childhood development or education? Mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet you, and I don't have the number, but I'm willing to bet you, Stephen, 90 over 90 plus actually did. You know, so it works. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's no debate uh, that, that it works. Um, now, here's one of the calamities, uh, one of the challenges uh, that I have with the bill as relates to mandatory care. One, there are, there are parents who say, well, look, I, I, I don't want the government compelling me to put my kid in a school, uh, be it public or private, uh, at five years of age. I mean, that's, I mean, I want to be with my kid. We answer that problem by, you, you can homeschool. I mean, there's absolutely, and we're gonna make it clear in the bill, that a parent who wishes to homeschool their kids has every right to do so and should be able to do it. But at the end of the day, we got to end the vicious cycle of, of, you know, there's a coalition between, you know, incarceration and education and poverty and education. I mean, it's, we have to end it, and we can't end it once they get to the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. I mean, we have to start very, very early. So I want to give access to parents uh, at an early age to, to make sure that their kids get the best uh, education possible. That's what K, the K bill is uh, geared towards. It's not an 
answer to all of the problems, but it's, uh, you can't really talk early childhood education if you're not talking you know, kindergarten at the very least. Well, there, there's no doubt that good habits usually are taught early um, as compared to late, and whether that's in life or in education or whatever. So I do think a focus on early education, early edu- uh, training is absolutely critical to, to prepare kids for, for, for future success. And there's no doubt when you look at the numbers in Louisiana, we've got a dropout problem. We've got an education attainment problem. There's no doubt. And we're never going to have economic growth until we come to a realization of it and try um, aggressive maneuvers to kind of fix that. And so I commend you for bringing this forward and pushing this debate. Let's talk a little bit on the back end of that. You know, there's ample discussion on the front end, and it's valid. What about on the back end? You know, right now the department is working on an initiative to try to maximize that junior and senior year try to make it easier for high school students to get some dual education, to, excuse me, dual enrollment, to, to start getting some college credit, maybe even some uh, career training to get a certificate coming out. You know, in our mind, that's a, that's a good option so that when you get to be that 14, 15, 16-year-old, you can start preparing yourself either for college success, uh, two-year success, or career success. And success comes in different versions. Do you have any thoughts on kind of the uh, the department's initiative on that, on maximizing that back end, and do you think it's an approach that's worth pursuing? Do you think the legislature is interested in it? I think we are. And, and look, first of all, dual enrollment is a great thing. I mean, uh, giving kids an opportunity to um, take college-level courses in high school and, and be able to start early once they uh, enter uh, college, they could actually start early and and have some of their requirements out of the way. I think that's a very good thing, and and it's working. Um, I don't think our problem is is at the eleventh, twelfth, and and college level. I, I just really think, you know, we have to. I think we do a good job, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I think we do a decent job in high school uh, and in college. The the problem is getting them to that point, and, and that's, yeah. what a, that's what a misconnect is. We're not able to get them to that, that point until we get them early, you know, intervene very, very early. We're not going to be able to, uh, to get them there. Uh, there is a foster plan. I don't know if you heard about it, but um, there is some talk about legislation this session. Give kids, um, uh, it's like a TOPS program. It's not exactly tops, but it's giving kids, uh, I guess they call it, they're not calling it a tech tops, but they call it foster program because Governor Foster actually uh, started uh, the, the college, I mean the community college system in our state and did a great job of doing it. But they want to be able to give kids uh, an opportunity to go to community college, those kids who do not have an interest in going to college. They want to be able to give them an opportunity to learn a trade and get into the workforce, you know, right away, mm-hmm. you know. And and they want to scholarship these kids for two years. And, and I'm supportive of that because mm-hmm. I do understand that they're, you know, not, not every kid, you know, have a desire to go to a four-year institution. There are some kids who want to just go right into the workplace. And we should have you know, high schools as well as, you know, community colleges, but high schools in particular geared towards those kids who mm-hmm. wish to just go into the workplace. Um, so I've been talking to the uh, the uh, president, Dr. Monte, about uh, about this program. It's his initiative, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very impressed with it, and it's still in the developing stages. And, you know, the beauty of Louisiana's economy, I guess, if you want to look at it this way, is 
there are a lot of good opportunities out there that someone can go with some, you know, two-year credential or a workforce credential and have a great career in Louisiana, provide for their family and make an impact in their community. And so we need to utilize those strengths. We do have a good, you know, manufacturing mm-hmm. base there that we should Absolutely. rely upon. You know, another thing that we hear so much is when you talk to some of these community college um, uh, program directors in, in different regions, a lot of times what you hear is like, hey, we've got a great program. We've got empty desk. Our biggest challenge is finding those people that have been out in the career for a couple of years, and they can't leave their job. They're working two jobs to make ends meet, and they can't leave to come to these classes. If we can start doing some of that in that 11th, 12th grade year, we can maybe use some of the public school buses or make it easier for them to get those credentials before they go off into their career. So there's a lot to like about this initiative, and I'm glad y'all are focused on it. So with that, session's coming up. Uh, any any parting thoughts you have or, or things to look out for that everyone should be paying attention to? Well, I, I think it's, you know, it's a fiscal session, uh, so it's not going to be as uh, uh, as intense as uh, the regular session uh, that's a non-fiscal session. I, I, I do think that uh, we're very fortunate in the state whereby we won't have the fiscal deficit that we thought we would uh, because of the uh, pandemic. So hopefully we can generate additional revenues through the Revenue Esti- Estimating Conference, which is going to take place sometimes in late April. And if revenues are realized, I, you know, I hope that we put it in education. I hope we put it in early childhood education, one. And two, I hope we pay, you know, we put it in teacher's pay, level three of the MFP. So, you know, I, I, I'm excited about this session, and I'm excited about all, all the legislators, quite frankly. I've never seen such a desire and a will to concentrate on education, and that's a very good thing. Uh, from southwest Louisiana, where you've had all kinds of devastations mm-hmm. as relates to, you know, hurricanes, I think legislators really realize, look, education, you know, is the key. And I think, you know, constituents have talked to legislators across the state about the challenges they have had because of the pandemic. I mean, people have seen it upfront and personal, not just public education, you know, private education, daycare. Everybody see the importance of education in this state parent, you know, it affects how and when a parent can go to work. I mean, if a parent got a newborn, can't go to work if they don't have quality daycare, you know, and so they have to stay home and be with their kids. So I, I think education is going to be a, um, a, a major topic of discussion um, in terms of uh, any additional revenues, and I'm just very pleased that uh, folk on all sides of the aisle want to do a better job with early childhood education first mm-hmm. and want to make sure that, uh, you know, we deal with this, 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 this learning loss that obviously all of our kids have encountered across the state. So um, from a college perspective, colleges didn't do as, you know, what was an impact that uh, didn't have a, as, as severe of an impact as K through 12. But, um, you know, I've had an opportunity to move around the state and look at some of the uh, infrastructure at our colleges and universities. I'm going to be pushing hard to, to try to improve, uh, you know, the infrastructure on, you know, our college campuses. There used to be a time where 70 percent of the revenues for colleges and universities were state monies. Now it's just the opposite. You know, it's 30 percent state and 70 percent self-generating. Um, 
so we got you know I, you know I'm looking forward to session. I know the gas tax, which is something uh, I've been hearing a lot about, uh, is is going to be a, a very um, highly debated debated uh, subject. Uh, but you know I'm just happy that that I'm serving with a group of you know colleagues who really want to move the state forward. Well, I think we, we take pride in the fact that it does seem to be a broad bipartisan group out there in the legislature who want to tackle some of the fixes that need to happen coming out of this pandemic. And so obviously in the education space, the, the committee that you chair is going to be most paramount in, in your bailiwick, but there'll be a host of other issues on, on taxes and others. But that learning loss component with kids, uh, you know, I think the states that confront it, develop a rapid strike plan to fix it and stay to the course of the states who are going to, you know, survive this this blip as well as anyone. And look, we're all competing for jobs and workers at the end of the day, right? And so uh, I commend you all to having your eyes on the prize. And uh, we look forward to working with you all this session on these issues we talked about. And I'm sure there'll be many more that come up. But um, always appreciate your very um, easygoing and, and collaborative style. And I uh, look forward to working with you. Thank you. And I appreciate uh, you having me here today. Absolutely. Take care. That was State Senator Cleo Fields, the chairman of the Senate Education Committee. Um, and again, this has been uh, sounds of the session as we profile um, important policymakers going into this legislative session. Stay tuned for many more as we ramp up uh, for this year's legislative session. Thank you.